Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, my name's Nick, been hosting the podcast since June last year. And for all my regular listeners, and there are thousands of you, and it's quite overwhelming when I look at the numbers, but it's great to have you guys back. For anyone who was listening before, I am now back from honeymoon. And apologies, we don't have a guest today. So it's just going to be myself running through a few bits and pieces and giving you guys some heads up on what's coming up in the next few weeks and also running through something quite interesting that's going to stay on topic around nailing it for your customers. So just before we dive into that, just a couple of quick updates. Uh, number one is we're in the middle of this series that, again, if you're new or you've not been listening before, we're in this series at the moment about nailing it for your customers. So we're looking at a whole range of things from how we market to customers to how we give them a good website, user experience. And then next week, all going to plan, next week we're going to be talking about social media and specifically influencer marketing. So how you can absolutely nail your brand, your business, and selling your products via influencers. And most importantly, micro-influencers as well, not just, the, not just going for the big guys that are super expensive and don't want to work with you because you're a small store at the moment. So without further ado, I'm going to dive in today. Today is episode three of this series. And today I'm going to be talking about top 10 things, in my opinion, that I believe customers absolutely hate when they are shopping online. The top 10 things that completely turn customers off and cause customers to want to leave your site or not engage with your business, or even worse than that, demand a refund, give you a bad review, and it's something quite easy to deal with and to fix. So these are not my personal pet peeves. It's just stuff that I've witnessed and uh, read in reviews over the years or found with clients where we've tried to dig into why customers are unhappy or why people don't want to shop from a particular brand. So number one, and I think this is really, really important, and it's quite a big topic, but I'm going to start with number one. I'm going to say your website sucks. So I think the the first thing that customers absolutely hate is when they land on a website and the design is just a bit clunky, everything's a bit all over the place. And something I really want to draw out of this first point of your website not doing well enough, the first thing I want to draw out is what is the clear message or, or the clear call to action, the clear thing that people should do next. And that might be something like adding a product to basket. It might be something like downloading a free guide. It might be finding a product. So depending on what channel they've come from, they might have come from Google Shopping and landed on a product page. And if it's the first time they've ever engaged with your business and your call to action is something along the lines of add to basket or buy now, you need to ask yourself the question. And it's a question that a really good guest we had on a few weeks ago called Matt Edmondson covered was talking about intent. If they've never heard of your brand, and again, I'm going to assume that most of our listeners are new stores or most customers are buying for the first time, and it's all a bit new to them. If they land on a product page and it doesn't introduce your business or tell them anything that can help them go from low intent and low trust to high intent and high trust, it's just not going to work. And so I think 
having a look at your website, landing pages, etc. We talk about this quite a lot. Having a look at where people actually land on the web page or which web page on the website is really, really important to then understanding where do we need to optimize. And optimization might look like a few things. It could be changing the design of the page. It could be changing the look and feel. I often find the use of color can be very, very bad on a lot of websites. And there are lots of studies out there that will also support what I've just said, that if, for example, you have white and green as your main colors and you use white and green quite a lot and then black text, nothing's really going to stand out. There's no kind of hierarchy to what they see on the screen. So at one glance on your website, they might see everything from thousands of products um, as a little tagline to free delivery to the name of this category they're on and the, all the, the logo and everything else in the heading. So sometimes from a design point of view, it's quite good to have a think about what is your accent color. And there are lots of studies as well that talk about accent colors. And to give an example of one we um, had on a client's website recently was blue and orange. So the website's branding and the brand of the business is completely blue. Because blue is a nice, trustworthy, subtle, sensible, safe color, often related to medical or accountancy or something that you need to trust. And that's the whole part of that side of the design. But then you might find that actually the call to action buttons, the one that says get a quote or buy now, is actually in bright orange. Because orange is a really contrasting color with blue. Now, what some sites do is they then use blue and orange absolutely everywhere. And that's not the best way to do it. There's obviously user cases where this isn't right, but generally speaking, you want to have one color, which is your brand color across the whole site. And then you want your call to action buttons of uh, speak to an expert or buy this product now or subscribe to our newsletter, whatever you think the most important call to action is at any point, any page or any part of any page. You want to make sure that is in a different color. Super simple. And the final thing I'll say on a website sucking, to use a very strange term, is, is just to have a think as well about the use of blank space which I know sounds ironic for somebody who, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I have been working in SEO and PPC for 15 years now. And normally what you hear from an SEO person is we want more content, more copy, more code. And then we want it to be really, really fast in terms of page speed. But actually there's a lot to be had from space. And this doesn't mean you have blank sections on the site by any means. What it means is you look at what's called padding, which is the space around an object. So what you might do is you might look at your button and say that your buttons are kind of hidden and clunked in amongst some text, which doesn't really look very good. Or what you could have is you could have a nice little bit of text that's centralized. It's only about 30% of the middle of the screen and the left and right hand side are blank. It doesn't have to be white, but they're just spaced. They're not cluttered with text. Then there's a nice big gap and then there's a button underneath. It's super clear. There's only one statement or piece of content or short paragraph or title for a customer to digest at any one time. Um, a really good way to go about finding out if your website sucks is obviously looking in something like Google Analytics. We'll tell you if people are buying from it, what pages they're viewing. I always quote my good friend Chris from OnState, um, which is an agency in the UK. And he always says when we're on client calls or when he's been on the podcast that analytics tells you what's happened, which is really useful, but it doesn't tell you why. So it's a good start, but what you really want to do to find out the why is get other people to use your website. Ask customers, what did you think of the website? What was wrong with it? You know, if you can incentivize customers to a feedback survey, then great. So anyway, on to point number two, things that customers hate. One thing that customers hate, and I've, there is going to be a disclaimer on this, and there is going to be a golden nugget in this as well, so, so bear with me. Customers generally hate being spammed on email. 
It's a given fact that people hate being spammed on email. I was reading a statistic recently that on non-work email accounts, the average amount of unread emails is in the thousands globally. And obviously there's lots of email addresses sitting around, but the point being that people do not like being spammed. When you start emailing them every day, it can be too much. Now the disclaimer and the little golden nugget is it does work for some businesses. And what's really, really sad sometimes I find or really frustrating is when we come into a new client or into a new e-commerce business and they say, right, you know, you're the consultants, tell us what we need to do and we'll have a think. And we come in and we say, well, you're emailing people every day. Stop it. It's too much. And they turn around and say, but yes, we are emailing everybody every day, but that's because we make $100,000 a day in our email marketing. So if we suddenly dropped that, would we now only get $100,000 every other day instead of $200,000 every two days? And so you've got to be a bit careful with this. And I think the earlier stage you are as a business and the less you're doing with email, the easier it is for you to try and dictate the frequency of those emails. And most importantly, what's in them? Because there are a couple of emails I get maybe two or three times a week. And as a consumer, I really, really like them. So there's one in particular that's a shower gel that I buy. It's on a Shopify store and they email me two or three times a week. I absolutely love their products. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm so sold on their brands that when I see that email, I can smell the current shower gel I'm using, even if I haven't used it that day. It's like that awareness, that association in your brain that says that my brain's saying to me, oh, we love this company because they smell of lemon and oak, which is actually one of the fragrances of, of shower gel I've bought. What was interesting is the first email I got from them, when I'd first bought, I thought it's quite an expensive product. I hope the quantity of it's quite a lot. And the first email I got was not a sales email at all. It was about a day or two after my order and it said, your order's going to arrive tomorrow. Here's some really important information that you should read. And there were just three points. And the very first one on their email, it's basically an order dispatch email, but it had been worded much, much better. The first point of the email was, you don't need to use a lot of this. It'll last for months. So they'd actually put one of my fears at ease, which I then realized was on the website. I just missed it in my first visit. But I think the point is, customers hate being spammed by email. So have a real think about how frequently you need to email customers. And even more importantly is, if you're relying on advertising and marketing to get every single sale in, i.e. people are only buying once from you, you are absolutely missing a trick. So why not start sending a monthly email or a weekly email and start building out from there? And a little tip as well on email, and I'm by far and away not an email expert, but one thing that I know has worked really well for a lot of our clients as well is to then start segmenting people on email. So maybe the first email you send them is, you're subscribed to our newsletter since you bought a product. We don't want to spam you. How often would you like to hear from us? Click here to manage your account preferences. And that's quite a good one. You could say, just send me deals and exclusive offers as frequently as you like. Or one of the options might be, only email me once a week. So yeah, so number two, do not spam your customers with email. It's a very, very bad way of doing things. Number three is going to be quite an interesting one. Number three is don't be dormant. And what I mean by dormant is there's nothing worse than finding a brand that you really, really like. And then what you do is you go on their social media and there's nothing there. And again, I, I've never worked completely in social. I've got a good understanding of social media. But again, I've read studies recently, even more recently during the pandemic, where you can't go in stores as much, etc. People then look at social media. So if you go on Facebook and you look at this business that's trying to convince you to spend 
I don't know, $2,000 on a watch. And we have a guest coming on to talk about exactly that in a few weeks' time. But if you want somebody to buy a watch for $2,000 and you go on their Facebook, and fortunately our guest has got a lot of followers on Facebook, a lot of activity, it's all happening. But if they then go on your Facebook and find you've only got 50 likes, well, this, this suddenly doesn't add up. And then if they've got a pixelated image at the top of their Facebook, the cover photo looks rubbish. This is not the luxury experience that they should, in my opinion, expect. So I think with social media, I would highly recommend that you have a think about what it is you want to get across on social. And most importantly, on social, choose your channels wisely. So what you might decide to do is say, okay, we're a luxury watch brand. We're just going to launch on Instagram initially because we can keep up with that. We can post regularly. And actually we think our customers will really like Instagram. So we'll set up in our business plan and our marketing plan. When we've made 5,000 sales from start, we will then launch Instagram and we will tell all of our customers that we have launched Instagram. And then our customers, our 5,000 customers are going to email to tell them we've launched Instagram. Some of them can go and follow us, which means we've got a following from day one and we can start posting and engaging with those guys quite quickly. So that's a strategy. I just, again, it's really, really bad business when somebody goes to look at your Facebook and it's completely dormant. We've had it a lot in the past where people have got the impression that just having Twitter or just having Facebook or something is more than enough to increase their SEO because it's another backlink or something. It does not work like that. You need to be present on social media for sure. Number four, we're going to take a complete gear change. These are going to be a little bit scatty because this is the order that I found them looking on Amazon and Google reviews um, and Trustpilot reviews earlier today. But number four, I'm going to talk about packaging. And it's quite an obvious one. Don't have rubbish packaging. I've bought lots of products over the years and some of them arrive in the most beautiful packaging. And I'll be honest with you, the most beautiful is often the cheapest as well. So what's not cheap is spending loads and loads of money on single-use plastics in a massive box for a really small product. That does not work well. What you probably want to do is work out what's the ample amount of packaging. Could we use a, given the age we're in these days, especially in the UK and US and Australia, could we use packaging that's eco-friendly? So something like paper that can be easily recycled, or could we use something like a recycled plastic that can be re-recycled again? I don't even know if that's a thing, but I assume it is. Could we even use packaging that you could, and this is a real wildcard one, that you could even send back for your next order. And obviously there's things to do with carbon footprint and emissions of um, you know, delivering another product, et cetera. But for example, I, I found out recently that there's quite a few European countries, and we don't do this in the UK and I wish we did, where all the fizzy drinks come in either plastic bottles or glass bottles. And once you finish your drink, there are points all over all the main cities and at all the main, major supermarkets where you can take back your Coke bottle or your either plastic or glass and you can drop it off and they will wash it, reuse it, and then the next customer will get it. It's a much, much better system. So again, if you can use anything that could be reused or the best product packaging I think I ever saw was a pair of shoes I bought and the box they came in, like literally the entire box, it wasn't even the inner box, the entire box folded up as a stand for my shoes. I thought it was absolutely amazing. So when you turned the box inside out, there's a little instruction inside, you turn it inside out and it became just that. The shower gels I bought recently as well, 
the box they came in looks like a nice shower gel display, the sort of thing you would find in a spa or something. So I've still got not all of the box, but just the inside bit. I've still got that in my bathroom right now with my lovely shower gels in. And it just, it just gives you that luxury experience. It also means I'm looking at their brand constantly. So where am I going to go when I want some more shower gels? I'm going back to them. Their plastic is fully recyclable and I forget the number, but there are recyclable numbers in the UK as well. And it was the top one, as in it's a very easy thing to recycle and it's widely recycled in the UK. Cool. So that's packaging. Again, a really important one that I think everybody should have a look at. And just one last note on packaging before I forget as well. Packaging is one of the quickest ways to get a second order from a customer as well. Everything you send to that customer is super important. So if they open that product and think, wow, this is a luxury item or a little business card pops out with a 10% discount, which we we actually get with our coffee in the office. We buy recyclable coffee pods. You can see I'm becoming a real hippie in this day and age, but we've got recyclable coffee pods. They have a little business card inside with a discount code. We get 10% off when we reorder. And there's a different code um, that you can type into their website. So we're going back to their website, seeing other offers at etc. When we type in all of these codes and there's a code inside every single box of coffee. So again, whatever you do with the packaging, it doesn't have to be an offer, but there might be something to say, this is our level one brand. And actually we've got a more premium brand. If you would like to try that next time, you can have 10% off the first time you try it to see if you like it, or, or you can go on our website and order a free sample. If it's a skincare product or something, we'll send it out again. All good stuff. Number five on our list of 10 is customer service. Really simple one. Don't have bad customer service. Customer service is something you can outsource. There are AI chatbots you could have on your website. Even better than that, if you want to kill two birds with one stone, as we say in the UK, with customer service, you can use customer service to drive SEO. And it's a very simple in theory, and it's a very time-consuming process in practice. But what we do for a lot of our clients, especially in e-commerce, is we write lots of buying guides and FAQs and what goes well with what and lookbooks and fashion guides. So where I'm going with this is what we ask our clients to do is to write down every customer service query that comes in and only write it down if it's new. If it's not new, just add another tally on the one that's there. So after three weeks, five weeks, 10 weeks, depending on how many customers they've got, they will send us a list of all of the general customer service inquiries. We then create a little area on their website and we might call this support or FAQs or our buying guides. And if they ask questions of, will this push chair fit in the boot of an Audi A4, which is a genuine one we looked at a few weeks ago, if that is a question that people are asking regularly, We're going to check the SEO traffic for prams in boots um, or how to know if a pram or how to measure a pram to fit in a boot. We're going to write a blog post or a buying guide or again, have this whole support area, helping people buy pushchairs and prams, educating new parents, et cetera. And that is going to link from that piece of content. It answers all of those questions. That is going to link through to our pushchairs category. So you can go and then buy a pushchair. And then when you land in the pushchairs category itself, we have a filter, which is by size. And we tell people that. So it says, go and use our size filter on our pushchairs category. Now that we've told you how to measure these things. One of my best bits of SEO I've ever done, and it's I, we don't work with the client anymore, but still um, in the top three in the UK, is a buying guide for men's suits. 
So I won't tell you who it is because it's confidential and it's all under contract, etc. But there is a buying guide in the top three on, in, on Google in the UK for men's suit guide or men's suit size guide, buying guide, etc. There is a sizing guide we wrote for how to measure up a suit or how to measure you up to then buy the right size suit online. And we've then got a special second category of men's suits, which has a different set of filters to normal. And those filters are all the different sizes for your men's suit. And that is why it ranks number one is because through those guys, you can buy a suit that fits absolutely perfectly. So first thing on customer service is to make sure you've got good customer service. Do answer the phone, do respond to emails within three working hours, etc. Be on the pulse all the time. The worst thing is if a customer's got a question they haven't bought yet and you take a while to get back to them and they go and buy elsewhere. You want to get an instant response if possible so you can have live chat, smart AI bots running a live chat, anything like that. Or better than that, you can have a big FAQs area and link to it all over your site. If you've got any questions about XYZ, go here and you can find your answer. Okay, number six. Now, this is something that's going to be a bit more nerdy and a bit more technical. And this is very controversial in the Shopify world. And I may get an expert on. And if you guys are interested in this, then please do let me know through the website. Let me know through our Facebook group, Winning with Shopify. And I'll get an expert on to do a bonus episode on this. This thing is page speed. Page speed is something that Google has been obsessed with for years. If Google was on Tinder or some sort of dating app, it would literally have on there that I want to date someone with good page speed because Google's obsessed with it. It's so important to SEO. But it's not important to Google because it got a bee in its bonnet one afternoon or it decided like, what we're going to focus on next? Oh, that sounds fun. Let's the reason Google focus on page speed is because customers really, really, really flipping care about page speed. Page speed is so important. If your website loads slowly, or even worse, bits of it don't load, customer has gone, absolutely gone. And to put this in a bit more context, how is everybody shopping these days? Obviously, they're on mobile devices. And what does a mobile device have? An antenna. What is slower than your home broadband connection? Generally mobile. The world is changing. So things are getting faster, but a mobile device is not as fast as a computer. It cannot process information as quick as a computer. It is changing. We're getting 5G in the UK at the moment, which is a very controversial topic. This is not a political podcast, so I would not be covering that today. But we are getting 5G at the moment in the UK. It is fast. It's getting faster, but that's no excuse. Google want your page to load really, really quickly, and they also want it to load in a specific way. And when I say specific way... There are some things that for all you technical people out there, you can Google CLS and LCP. If anyone's had a play in Google Search Console over the last sort of six months, they might be familiar with these terms. And there's lots of guides out there on how to fix LCP and CLS. We have some Shopify Plus clients that we've managed to get into the green on Google PageSpeed's mobile PageSpeed checker. It really is difficult to get to that. And I must stress, it is only on Plus clients we've managed to do that without introducing a whole load of tech between Shopify and the user, which gets very complicated. So my advice with PageSpeed is run it through Google's PageSpeed checker and look at all the obvious stuff. We do actually have a service at Parker that just does a one-time page speed optimization. We've got some developers that go in and edit code and all this sort of stuff. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, hang on a minute, Nick, you've just said this really controversial topic, and then you've made it sound all very easy. Okay, so firstly, it's not easy, generally with page speed. There will be some images you can shrink, 
literally by just downloading the image onto your computer, making it a smaller file size and re-uploading it. You can get apps like uh, CrushPix is one we're using for a few plus stores and they shrink all your images, etc. But there's a lot more to it than just images. Now, the reason it's controversial is that in the SEO world, Shopify is like Marmite. People like me absolutely love it. And generally, the ones of us who love it are not on the more technical SEO side. We're on the more commercial SEO side. It's a good platform for a business to run a business on it, to have their own online shop and to manage customers, make the site look good, etc. The people that don't like it in the SEO world is because you can't get hold of the root files. You can't log into the server and start messing around with server files. That is all locked by Shopify, which is why Shopify sites had 100% uptime over Black Friday. 100% in the UK. Not a single server issue over Black Friday on Shopify in the UK. And I'm probably, I'll probably take a punt and say it was very similar in the US. But that means with PageSpeed, there's a lot of things you can't change. And e-commerce websites, I'm afraid to say it, are always going to be slow. So there's a very old analogy, and I think this is a good thing to do for anyone, is there's an old analogy of two people walking in the woods and they see a bear. One of them says, don't move, there's a bear. The next one starts putting their trainers on. And the one that said, don't move, says, what are you doing? I said, don't move. And he said, well, I'm getting my trainers on. Because the bear's only going to catch one of us. I just have to outrun you. And off they go. Page speed's kind of similar. So you don't have to have the fastest site in the world. You just have to have it probably in the amber zone, which is above 50 out of 100 on mobile, as far as Google's concerned, on their free page speed checker. And the other thing on page speed is that if everybody in your industry has really, really slow websites and you don't, you've already got one up on them. So always make your site as fast as you can without going completely crazy on it. But always bear in mind, every time you add another app or every time you add more images, add more content, put more scripts in, you're going to slow down page speed. So make sure you work with a developer who understands that and will make some recommendations to say, this is what we can do with this new app, this new feature, this new function to mitigate any page speed increases at the same time. So that's page speed. Next one I'm going to talk about quite briefly, because it won't affect a lot of you guys, but I think it is quite amusing. One of the things I saw a lot online looking at reviews, in the UK and US, there are a lot of TV advert critics. And I hate to say it, and I won't say who, but one of our clients launched a TV ad in the, here in the UK. And the plan was we were going to push it out on YouTube as well. So TV ad came out and I watched it and thought, I don't really like this very much. It's your ad. You've paid a lot of money for this and it's got a celebrity on it. So we'll roll with it. We'll go with it. It's your company, not ours. And you've told us to roll with it. So we'll run this ad, but we will let them know. We don't think this is going to go so well. And they were like, no, no, we love it. It's controversial. Let's run it. So they ran it. And the first comment on the YouTube video was, I won't share all of the language, but it was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> was basically what they said, which meant that then from that moment onwards, all the other comments were commenting on that saying, you're so right. What did I just watch? What a waste of two minutes of my life watching this advert. And then people started coming, oh my gosh, they're actually paying to promote this on YouTube. Um, and other people were saying, oh my gosh, this just appeared as an advert on my TV on the YouTube app. And it all backfired and went completely wrong. But I think it's a good lesson to be learned about advertising. Now, one of the things that I talk about a lot on the podcast when it comes to advertising, more specifically Facebook advertising, Google advertising, et cetera, is that digital advertising is either, it's a bit like the Marmite scenario, it's, it's either side of this fence. It's either so dull and boring 
that it's just basically a list of facts, which for a few services works quite well. For selling fun products like most of us are doing on Shopify, not so good. Or it falls on the other side of this line of, oh my gosh, what a fantastic product, what an amazing advertising campaign. I absolutely love this. I need it in my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason this has happened, I believe, is partly my fault. I've worked on Google Ads for years, used to be called Google AdWords. And the main channel of Google Ads is when somebody looks at something on Google and your little text adverts pop up. And again, this is partly my fault because people like me, there's only so much we can write about certain topics. So I'll give an example. We had a client years ago, e-commerce website, and they were selling foam. So you could buy foam for like your sofa, your mattress at home, or there's mostly replacement stuff, but it was foam cut to size. You would just, we've got great foam. We can, we can make it at a drop of a hat. You just tell us what your dimensions are. We'll make you some foam. The amount of times the client was like, can we make the adverts any more fun? And we were sitting there. I don't know how much more I can write about foam. It's just, there's just only so much. And so I think the point being that we don't all need to get like a big TV million dollar budget to get a big actor in and shoot the next kind of, you know, Harrison Ford talking about a new car. And I've always wondered why he hasn't sponsored Ford. I think that would have been a great, <laughs> great linker, Harrison Ford driving a Ford. It's not really his style, I guess, but we don't all have to do that. There are ways to make marketing much more exciting for your customers. And I think it's about looking at where they are. And so we spoke last episode on the podcast about how a business owner I used to know a while ago, he had actually gone to some customers' houses and offered to set up their furniture or their products for them for free. And that gave him a real insight to who was buying them and realized all these people are more luxury. So what he then did with all of his advertising and his website is he went away and made sure they, they did all their lifestyle photography, shot all of their ads, their Facebook, the short, you know, Facebook 30 second pre-roll ads, et cetera, video ads on Facebook. They shot them all with luxury items in the video, nothing branded, but just, it was clearly a lovely, big, you know, oak floor, nice sofa. Cause these were the people that were buying their products at the time. There's a company in the UK that I've ordered a few things from called Oak Furniture Land. I don't know if you guys have them in the US, but it's Oak Furniture, which in the UK is incredibly expensive. It's super good quality. The wood lasts forever. And generally a piece of Oak Furniture is always really solid. You know, you haven't bought this from Argos or something or Ikea, which again, I don't know if you have those brands in the US, but certainly, yeah, it's not budget at all. It's expensive stuff. You know, it'd be 500 pounds upwards for any item. $500 upwards for any item sort of thing. And these guys, all the photography on their website and everywhere you see the product, it's always luxury. You know, there's a nice pair of earrings sitting on top of that oak side cabinet or, or dresser you're thinking of buying for the bedroom. Some of the furniture they have now is clearly in a luxury style. So again, it starts to bring the, the marketing to life a little bit. I often use the phrase that marketing is lost from digital marketing. And again, using Google text ads as an example, it just becomes so factual. Some of our clients even ask us to qualify customers before they click on the ads. And the way we do that is to say, we don't take anybody on, you know, say it was a a financial service. We don't take anybody on who's below this amount of income, below this age, or if they've had any criminal convictions. It's not not exciting, is it? It's, It's quite the opposite. You're basically saying these are a whole load of people we've profiled and decided you're not good customers. So if you were a good customer, it's going to start putting you off. So I think, have a think, what makes your your clients tick? Like, is it an advert that says the ultimate adventure companion, which is for like a a new Bluetooth speaker that has a battery life of, of six weeks. So if you were going camping in the outback, this speaker is absolutely perfect. And you could even call this little Bluetooth speaker the, the outback speaker. 
you know, with a little trademark at the end of that. That's still a Google text ad, but it's suddenly quite exciting, really selling the product and speaking to a specific audience. So the keyword you might target on that would be, you might do a review blog post on your website. So a blog post that says the top 10 speakers to take camping with you or the top 10 Bluetooth speakers for travel, I think could be a good thing. Cool. So that's advertising and me having a little moan about myself and how boring (laughs) advertising uh, can become. Let's talk next then. So number eight, about delivery. We've done this topic in a lot of detail. Um, We've had Bright Pearl, who are a fantastic piece of software. And I I, I don't say that lightly, and I'm not saying that because they're paying me. I'm saying that because I, I genuinely believe they are the exact piece of software that every store needs at a certain size. Talking about delivery, Bright Pearl will ping out text messages, updates, et cetera. It'll even ping somebody in a call center if you want it to, to say, phone this customer now to let them know their delivery is being dispatched today or to let them know there's been a two-day delay. You're really sorry, um, but they're going to get a 10% off voucher as an apology. Delivery is the point. It's like the last part of the process. You've done all this hard work with marketing, with websites, selling the products, getting them to part with some cash, making sure your payment gateway works correctly, making sure your Shopify store pings the warehouse to say, there's been an order, get it in a truck, get it out. And then if delivery is late, or the product turns up damaged or something goes wrong, all that hard work is completely lost. All they'll remember about your business is, oh, it ages to come. And when it arrived, it was broken or the packaging was rubbish or the packaging itself was all really dusty. You know, I don't want that in my, in my house. Um, I certainly don't want that arriving at my office and carry it home in my backpack. It's uh, not, not a nice experience at all. I've told this story a couple of times, but I'll tell it a really short version of this. There's a friend of mine who lives near me. He was hired by one of the biggest high street brands in the UK as a customer services officer, something about customer experience officer. And he was looking through all the Google reviews and Trustpilot reviews and whatnot, Google seller ratings, and had a look at all the one, one and two star. And he said, one thing that kept coming up was that lots of customers, and he searched up those customers in their database, and it turns out they're all in the same area. Lots of their customers in this little remote village they were all complaining that the product smelled of smoke, as in somebody smoking a cigarette. So he said to the guy, he went to the warehouse and said, next time a product is heading there, I'm going with it. And looking at our data, there's probably going to be one every two to three days. I'm going to be in that hotel over there. Here's my number. Phone me as soon as that happens. I'm going with the product. I ended up following the product, getting on the plane. The plane was all fine. And then he got in the truck after it had landed at the other end of the UK. And he got in the truck and said to the delivery driver, do you smoke? And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. I find it calms me down while I'm driving. And he just kind of went, right. Okay. And nothing against this particular chat, nothing against smoking itself just wasn't a nice experience for the customer. So they made a few changes and said, could you give your driver slightly longer breaks so they can smoke, but it's outside of the van so that they're not smoking in the van whilst driving. And I think there's actually laws. I might be wrong. I don't smoke myself. But I think there's actually laws in a lot of countries about smoking whilst driving now as well. So again, delivery is such an important part to make sure you don't let the customer down right there at the end, at the very, very last point. Number nine, kind of flowing on from that a little bit as well. Number 10 is going to be quite fun and sexy, but this one, I can't believe I just said sexy on the podcast as well, but um, this one is, this one's going to be following on from that and quite dry. And this is generally about your systems. So following on from the delivery bit about text messages going out about delivery, it's been dispatched. You know, Shopify is generally quite good, especially with the new shop app, which if you've never played with and you're listening to this podcast, oh my word, go and download. It's just called shop little purple icon on the app store on iphone it'll be probably the same thing on uh, on android i imagine go and get shop because shop 
is the app that all of your customers get for free by default. And it holds things like card details, delivery information, et cetera, and then updates your customer once something's in transit. And it's pretty automated from the point of as soon as the shipping company like FedEx or somebody or UPS has that product in transit, they will automatically update the customer for you through shop. What a great solution. Why have we not all got that? Exactly my point. So, but the point, my point I'm making here as well is customers hate bad systems. So make sure your systems work together. What you don't want is for them to be getting text messages, app notifications from shop, and then also getting emails on top of that. And then the phone call to say, hey, your thing's being dispatched today is too much. But equally, if they hear absolutely nothing, then that is also bad. Another thing to look at with your systems as well, which will benefit customers a bit bit less directly, but still in a good way, is have a look at your systems that go from Shopify to your warehouse that needs to be automatic and it needs to be bulletproof. You need to make sure that as soon as an order is placed, no human has to go in and go, oh, someone's ordered that, right, fulfill this, do this, do this. You'll be amazed, even if you're running a shop, just you, and you're the only staff member in the entire business, you'll be amazed how much you can do on your own to actually automate that process and make it pretty smooth. One of the interesting things that, that we discovered recently was that when we were running our store, I say recently as in I discovered it, I wish I discovered it was running the store itself, but I found out recently from a, an email actually, a bit of junk mail that arrived. But there is a, there's an app that one of the delivery companies in the UK have now developed where there's an automatic free app in Shopify. As soon as someone orders something, it automatically creates the delivery label for you. It will pump it out on a printer in the office. So at the end of the day, you literally just have to walk to the printer and go, right, there's a delivery label. And the label itself tells you what product it was that they bought. You have to log into any system. You just chuck the label on a product and then take it straight downstairs to the post office. So if you're running it on your own, I would still highly recommend investing in some little systems like that. And when I say investing in, you're not going to need any money to do something like that. That's purely going to be choosing the right delivery company, which is, uh, which is important. Anyway, number 10, we're at the end of the list. And number 10, to, to round things off, and I had to have a long think about this because I thought I've got, to, I've got to land with something great. Number 10 is your website offers. And customers hate bad offers. And they hate it when a company tries to push an offer that's not really an offer. And what I mean by offer is you might be offering, and it's something you offer, um, you're offering. I've said the word offer too many times. Um, but it's something you're offering, like free delivery, or you can have free delivery above a certain point. Or you might be saying it's two for one on this product here, or you can mix and match five of these for the price of three, something like that. It might be half price, it might be a sale. And be really, really careful with offers. Customers hate it when they're used to getting discounts, and they come to a site and find there's no discounts. You've just killed your conversion rate and you didn't need to offer the discount in the first place or you offer a discount that is competitive. Or what you might want to do with discounts, which a lot of people do, is they say that the uh, retail price of this product is £100 or $100 and we're selling it today at $80. And you just need to make sure that $80 is your long-term fixed price. So that's what we're always going to have it at. It's just a great bit of marketing stuff. And there are rules and laws in certain countries. Please check them before you do that. I think in some countries, you can only put something on sale if it's been at a non-sale price for at least twice as long as it was on the sale price for lots of rules like that. So be a little bit careful. But a few to highlight on this. Some sites we go on and some clients we, we look at working with or people that approach us, we have a look at the site. And sometimes there's like 
these big three USPs at the top of the website. And we look at them and think, okay, they're not unique. They're not even a selling point. And they've actually got some good selling points elsewhere. So one of the ones I find quite interesting sometimes is one client we're still working with and we're still having this conversation. They say that we've got thousands of products in stock, but they don't have thousands of SKUs. They have thousands of quantity of a single product, for example. So they've only actually got about 100 products but they've got thousands of each of them. And that's not a USP because customers only ever buy one product. So they've got three USPs at the top of the site under the menu and looks quite nice. So we've been saying to them, why don't you get rid of that and put eBay seller of the year? Because you are officially the eBay seller of the year. That's a better USP. The second one, I can't remember what it used to say. I think it was uh, free delivery above £100. And we said, well, get rid of that because your cheapest product is £107. So it's actually just free delivery, isn't it? And they were like, oh, we don't want to change it. We're like, no, no, change it. It's just, it's free delivery. It's just, it's just a box tick. It's a large item. It costs a lot of money. It's free delivery because actually their competitors will charge 30 to 40 pounds or, um, or 30 to 40 dollars for delivery to deliver one of these products. And then the third USP, they've got tons of reviews on lots of different platforms. They've got Trustpilot, they've got reviews.io, they've got Amazon reviews, they've got eBay reviews. They've also got Facebook reviews. They've got reviews in their Google Maps pin, which they don't have a, sh- a showroom. They're just purely a digital e-commerce business, but they've still got loads of good reviews on there as well. So we then said at the top, why don't we just change that just to say five-star reviews? And if you click on that, there's then a page with all the different review things on there telling all widgets. So they update automatically tell you how many reviews there are. Have a think about your offers and are they actually appealing to your customers or are they actually just a bit rubbish? Is it you trying to get rid of a product you shouldn't have bought in the first place and nobody's buying? Or is it a product that actually you think would sell if you were to drop the price a bit or throw in something else for free? And talking about the something else for free, A really smart offer I saw recently, and I'll give you a few examples of different offers, but a really smart one I saw, it said, we will give you a free two-week sample of a face cream. Um, You can tell I've got married recently buying shower gels and face creams. Um, But we will give you a free two-week sample. So they could have just said free sample, though, free two-week sample if you buy £50 worth of stuff on our site today. And I was thinking, I was currently going to buy about 30. Yeah, fine, I'll put... I actually, I'll just buy two of each. I know I like this stuff. I know I use it. And I'll get that free two weeks of face cream. And when it arrived, the actual packaging said, use X amount per day for two weeks, 14 days solid. And I noticed the difference and went back and bought the actual product. So again, really, really smart. Why 50 pounds though? And this also applies to free delivery on a few episodes ago, we had Jared Mitchell back from um, Skincare by Elena. And I don't think we mentioned it actually a few weeks ago. I think it was a few months ago. We had him on another time. But we were talking about why free delivery started it. I think it was like $72 or something. And he said they kept just nudging it up and their average order value on the site kept nudging up. So what they did is they wanted to find the balance of like, what is the best point for free delivery so that it's increasing our average order value as much as possible without becoming a, no one's really getting free delivery right now and the delivery is putting them off. So again, the same reason with the, if you spend X, you get a free sample, you get a free something with it, um, or we might just give you a whole other product, or we might give you a discount code or whatever it might be. Find that tipping point. And a good way that Jared recommended doing it was to actually have a look at what is your average order value right now and just set the free delivery or the free product, whatever, slightly above that and see if your average order value increases a little bit because people are now picking up that offer. But that is all subject to the very first thing I started with, which is customers hate it when your website sucks. 
So your website needs to be clear and you need to have a good mechanism within the design that when you put some sort of offer in, it's not overpowering, but it's nice and clear and obvious. Customers can see it easily. I hope that's been useful. I'm just going to go through the top 10 quickly as a summary before we wrap, just to round off before we say goodbye. These are the top 10 things I think customers hate, and they're in no particular order. Um, But number one, customers hate it when your website sucks. Customers hate getting spammed on email. Customers hate it when your social media is dormant and it looks like nobody's home or your live chat's off or something like that. Customers hate it when you use bad or environmentally unfriendly packaging for things or excessive packaging. Customers hate bad customer service because they want to feel like they're actually connected and there's somebody there if things go wrong. Customers hate pages loading slowly and websites loading slowly and therefore Google does too. Customers hate bad advertising. So a bad advert can be worse than no advert. So make sure your advertising is good. It's exciting. It, it brings it brings the business and the brand to life. Customers hate when delivery goes wrong or you don't communicate or it arrives on the wrong day or it smells of smoke or something when the, when the product ends up at the door. Customers hate bad systems. So make sure your systems talk to each other. They work and customers can use them easily and use them well. And customers also hate bad offers. I hope it's been useful today. We'll be back next week. All going to plan, we're going to be talking about how to get lots of micro-influencers to work with you guys and how to nail it for your customers through social media with influencers. I've been Nick. You guys have been fantastic. And it'd be really awkward if none of you were here, although you're not technically here, but thanks again for joining us. Uh, We will be back again next week. And I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.